Good morning. Hope everyone's doing okay. Um, we're going to move on and we're going to go to our second part of uh, the Godhead. And actually, I'm still in part one. So uh, <laughs> I'm not going to finish part one today either, but I'm going to finish it, so to speak, to where we can move on to part two um, next week. I did talk with Brother Paul, and he said that uh, we will be able to complete the series. We may take a little intermission and uh, some other people will do the first word for a while, and then I'll come back to it, because I think it's, I mean, I think it's really important, and I think, you know, it's something we need to talk about, but I don't want to rush it, and uh, I just want to do what I feel like God's wanting me to do with this, and I think that's really important. Um, okay, so uh, long story short, uh, I was working on some slides last night on part one, and part of it was based on something I felt like God dealt with me about. And we had some technical difficulties this morning, so you still have the old presentation. Uh, I tried to change the formatting on it to make it a little easier to read and do some other things, and it just had it, but we can't get it copied over. So th there's going to come a point in time in here where um, you're not going to have those slides in front of you, and I'll let you know when that is, okay? So we're going to pick up on slide 10, and we're going to talk about uh, Jesus being the revealed name of God or Jehovah in the New Testament. So. One of the things that you have to understand is that actually there's over a thousand different names in the Word of God that are given for God. He actually has a lot of names. And part of that is a gradual progression of revelation of his Godhead to his people. Okay, and with each successive name, it would either be further revelation or it would be something that, you know, showed this is what God can do. This is what God will do. Okay, and, and I was going to get into some of that. I'm not going to. There's not time for it. It's really interesting to look at the different types, especially some of the compound names and things that he has. <clears throat> We're not going to do that, but his ultimate revealed name is Jesus. Okay, now, in the Old Testament, he revealed himself progressionally, finally, as Jehovah, which I didn't mention this last time. I'm going to mention it now. Uh, Jehovah is the name that he used it just means a self-existent one, okay? It's the name that he used to distinguish himself from all of the false gods, okay? And it's basically, it's the Jewish national name for God, okay? So that's what Jehovah is. Well, if I look at Jesus, it means Jehovah Savior. It's a compound name. Or Jehovah is salvation, or Jehovah is our salvation. If you, were to, if you were to look at the actual translation of Jesus, that's what it means. Well, that makes sense. He is our Savior. He is our salvation. Now, I'm going to, we're, we're actually going to start to get into some, you know, meat and potatoes today. I'm going to do a lot of reading because there's a lot of scriptures I want to look at, and there is some points that I feel like God has dealt with me about that I, I want to just give them as I've received them. Okay. Now, one of the things that we want to understand in this is that uh, in the book of Revelation, and we're going we're to have a whole section on that, uh, God fully real, reveals himself as Jesus. Okay. So that's sort of the, the complete, the end of it. Uh, and he lays it out there as both spirit and Messiah in one Jesus. Okay. But uh, there's some interesting things that we have in the Word of God that just simply tell us His name. All right, so we're going to look at Matthew 1, 21 through 23, and it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, 
If you go on, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it tells you that it is translated as Emmanuel, which means God with us. So if I just stop right there, that's technically enough to give you that. Please let that sink in for a minute. I, I don't really need more than that, but we can have some fun with it. We can, you know, one of the things I, I love about the Word of God is on important doctrines, it always gives you multiple scriptures. Always. Okay? John 5, 43, he says, I have come in my Father's name. I mean, it's, it's basically what he's saying is I represent his name. I have his name is what he's saying there. Uh, I'm not going to read the rest of that. Let me go on to John 14, 7 through 9. John 14 is an interesting chapter. Um, not to get ahead of where we're going, but uh, Jesus identifies himself in that chapter as both the Father and the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God. Same chapter. It's kind of neat. But John 14, 7 through 9 says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And I love this. He says, And from now on you know him and have seen him. Okay, well, he's a representation of the fullness of God in bodily form, right? Now, verse 8 says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And I love Jesus' response to this. He says, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? In other words, he's saying, Philip, here I am before you in bodily form. And you got to understand, okay, if you go back into some of the Old Testament books like Isaiah, they're given that information that God's going to come in bodily form as the Savior. He already told them that. But sometimes, you know, if you're like me, you're a little bit slow. You've got to have it told to you several times. You know, I, I don't blame Philip for not getting it. But that's what Jesus was telling him. Hey, this is, this is Jehovah here in bodily form. Now, in Isaiah 52 and 6, God stated that his people will know him, know his name in that day when he declares it. Guys, it's been declared. Jesus declared it. That's what he's talking about. Okay? Uh, and it states that it will be him speaking. So as Jesus Christ, he spoke and declared his name. Now, I'm going to read Isaiah 52 and 6. I just want you to hear this. It says, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know it in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. Now, if I'm going to... Okay, another thing, and I, I got to be careful because I want to go down sidelines really bad with all this stuff, uh, but I'm going to make this statement. Every time I start digging in this topic, I realize that there's no bottom. There's no end to it. The scriptures are layered as deep as you want to go. If you look at this passage, Isaiah uh, 52, 6 through 10, it's really dealing with the Messiah. Okay, I want to skip down to verse 10. He said, the Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Christ. Christ is we're going to get into the right hand and right arm of God. That represents always represents his power and omnipotence. It's not a physical right hand. Christ was the full manifestation of that power to do what? To save fallen humanity. And this is what he's talking about. If you want it, it's there. If you want it, it's there. Now, we know that Jesus declared the Father. He manifested the Father's name. 
And he declared the Father's name. And I've got scripture for all this. You can see it up there on the slide, I hope. Jesus declared the Lord's name in the Psalms and in Hebrews. Now look at this. Jesus received his name by inheritance from the Father. Well, you know how that works. He, he has the same name as the Father is what that's saying. Okay. Now, it says in Zechariah that the Lord has only one finally revealed name. We're going to get into the book of Zechariah. I tell you what, if you ever want to know, if you ever want some convincing proof that Jesus Christ was God manifesting in the flesh, read chapter 14 in the book of Zechariah. There's no question about it. Okay. Um, and it says that his name, understand this is all in reference to Jehovah now. His name will be great among the Gentiles. Well, whose name is great among the Gentiles? Jesus. That's not, I mean, again, it's, this, it's, it, it's, it's as deep as you want to go, but the basics of it are there if you want it. All right, let's go to the next slide. You have to understand that Jesus flat out told the Jews he was God. He, just, he didn't beat around the bush. He just told them. He said, I am God. Now, John 8, 58 says this. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. The self-existent one. I just told them that. In John 10, 30, he said, I and my father are one. Now, I want to get into that later. I don't have time to do it today. But in both instances, the Jews wanted to kill him. Why? Because he was making himself to be God. And they're monotheistic. It means they serve one deity. And they didn't see him as that, the Messiah. I mean, basically, they're saying, you're claiming to be God. We're, we're going to kill you for that because we know that's not right. Or we think we know. Okay. Some people say, well, and, and, and I don't want to, again, I don't want to get too far. Hey, well, John, you know, 1030, that's just one in purpose. You know, I and my father are one in purpose. Okay, if, if Jesus was saying he was one in purpose with God, they wouldn't have wanted to kill him. Okay, he was saying he was God, and they didn't like that. I mean, they thought he was, they thought he was blaspheming. Now, here's where it gets fun. Thomas acknowledged that Jesus was God. So if I look at John 20, 28, and 29, it says, And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. So, you know, Thomas says, I'm not going to believe you unless you show me the, the scars. But he shows them. Oh, okay, he, he came back from all that. He died. It clicked. My Lord and my God. Why didn't Jesus correct him? Because the Bible says that only God should be worshipped. And Thomas was worshiping him. Why didn't Jesus correct him? Because he was God. But, but here's something. That, now, here's something. I'm slow. Here's something I never caught until going through this. Verse 29 says this. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me. Oh, man. Seen me what? Not, not just that I've resurrected. You've seen me as the Messiah, as God in flesh. You believe. Catch what he's saying there. Because the light bulb went on for Thomas. It's like, whoa, he is God. Well, what does the Bible say? No man's seen God at any time except as what? Jesus Christ who's declared him. I think, I think a whole bunch of stuff happened to Thomas real quick. Now, the book of Titus states directly that he is God. I, I, I tell you what, if you don't have Titus 2, 13 and 14 underlined in your Bible, you should. 
It says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. Zealous for good works. I mean, he calls him our great God and Savior. There's only one God. Second Peter 1 and 1. Simon, Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus, Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, you know, I mean, these are Paul and Peter that wrote those. I figured they knew God. We know Peter did. So were they wrong? No. They understood. The Word of God says he's our great God and Savior. Okay? Remember, he's God the Father manifested in the flesh. He's Jehovah manifested in the flesh. He's the one God manifested in the flesh, not part of God. That's not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the one fullness. Oh, well, just, I got to hang on. I'm fixing to come unglued here in a minute because I want to get to what God dealt with me about last night. I'm telling you. I, I, I'm not going to lie about it. I called Brother Price last night. I was, I was in prayer about this, and, and I'll explain it in a minute, but um, I was so excited about it, I had to call the pastor. I just told him about it. So somebody had to, had to bend somebody's ear about it. Now, to actualize our salvation, okay, we know that God had to become flesh because a spirit can't die. He provided himself as the lamb for our redemption. But look at, look, at, look at some of these scriptures that the Bible gives us. And, and, and I mean, you guys are probably all familiar with these, but again, remember what I said. We're going to start out with, we're going to hit the basics. Okay? In Luke 1, and 69, he said, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. Now that's identifying him as Jehovah. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Who's he talking about? Christ. Who came and visited Jehovah did. As who? Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, John 1, excuse me, 1 John 3, 1 through 5. This one's important. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, talking about God, okay, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, okay, when, when we get to heaven, you're going to see him like he is. You're going to see that glorified body of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to be on the throne. That's what you're going to see. Okay? Now, at verse 3, it says, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, now, I'll set all that to get here. Verse 5, and you know that he, he's talking about God, was manifested to take away our sins, and him, in him there is no sin. Okay, who, who took away my sins? Jesus did when he died on the cross. Are you, you catch it? God did this. All of God did this. Jehovah the Father did this. It's all, we're all dealing with the revealed name of Jesus here, his revealed name. All right, Acts 20, 27, and 28, and I love this one. It says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Now, catch that. This is what God told him to do. It's what God told him to write. 
So when, when Luke wrote this, you know, here, this, you write this. He said in verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with what? His own blood. Again, how, how did the Spirit, how did God the Father purchase that blood? By becoming a man. He bought my salvation. Part of him didn't buy my salvation. All of him bought it. And the Spirit can't die, so he had no other choice but to become a man. Yeah, I don't know. That's just, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. All right. Let me see what time it is. I'm just not going fast enough. Um, now here comes the slides I don't have. Uh, <laughs> God does not change. If I break down, y'all forgive me, but he dealt with me strong yesterday. I'm praying about this, and I'm trying to, you know, I felt him impress on me, you know, Malachi 3.6, I'm the Lord, I change not. Okay, you know, being, you know, the genius that I am, God, what does it have to do with the Godhead? I know that you change not, you're God, but what does it have to do with talking about the Godhead? Well, I prayed a little bit. I got distracted, something came up, I had to do something else, and went back into prayer a little bit later, and first thing that pops, just about the first thing that pops into my head, I am the Lord, I change not. Okay, God, help me out here. <laughs> and as I began to pray, and I felt, I felt impressed, he said, you go to four scriptures, five scriptures, two in Colossians, three in Colossians, one in Corinthians, one in Hebrews, and he said, you study those from the original language. Okay, so I did that, and it was five specific scriptures. And when I did that, after I did that, I called the pastor because I was pretty excited. Because it paints a picture of who the Messiah was. Let me, just, let me go on here. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. I'm not going to read the rest of it. Hebrews 13 and 8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in both instances, it indicates that neither God nor Christ ever changes. Okay, keep that in your mind. The Bible says that God's word is settled. It's permanent. It's unchangeable. And there's a bunch of scriptures you can quote. I got four of them in there. Okay, that also means that his doctrines are unchangeable. I can't change his doctrine. When I change his doctrine, I've nullified him and his ability to move in my life and my understanding. I can't change his doctrine. He's not going to change his doctrine. He put it in his word, and he said his word's immutable. It's unchanged. He's not going to go back and say, oh, you know what, I didn't, don't feel like that's right. Let's do something else. That's not what he does. As Christians, my doctrine is given to me by God. I don't have a choice in the matter. Or I better not make a choice in the matter. If I choose my own doctrine, then I'm, I'm saying, God, what you say and what you have doesn't matter. But I'm, I'm on my own then. I have to let the word of God shape my doctrine. That means my doctrine is settled, it's permanent, and it's unchangeable. Now, 
the relevance of this is an establishment and subsequent continuation of our doctrinal beliefs about God. My beliefs and understanding of the Godhead have to be solely based on the scriptures, not my interpretation of the scriptures, not what I think they mean, no offense, not what Brother Price says or Brother Eric, what God says they mean. And anything else is irrelevant. Now, I'm just going to read this. And bear with me because there's a reason I'm going to read this. In Colossians 1.15 and 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, and we've talked about all these scriptures. They're dealing with the Christ and the image and the fullness of the expression of God. Okay, It's here the word image, and the word image is used in both of those scriptures. It says he's the image of the invisible God. It's derived from the same Greek word. Okay, I'm not going to try to pronounce the word, but it means a likeness, profile, or representation. A likeness, a profile, or representation of what? Something that's not seen. Okay? So it's a visible likeness or profile of representation of God. Now, in Hebrews 1.3, it also uses the word image, but it's from a different Greek word. And this is where it starts to get interesting. Okay? The word in Hebrews 1.3 means graver. And it's talking about the tool or the person, i.e., in other words, an engraver. Okay? Now, by implication, engraving or character, the figure stamped an exact copy or representation, express exact image, a precise reproduction in every respect. Does it not say that Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost? Did God not make that flesh? Then would it not, if it's him, would it not represent everything about him as an exact copy, representation, or manifestation? Catch what that's saying. Now it gets better. So if I sum these up, they're stating that the exact, precise representation and reproduction of God in every respect respect was Jesus Christ. In other words, he was everything God was in bodily form. Now, if I take those scriptures and I combine them with Colossians 1.19 and Colossians 2 and 9, okay, the word fullness is translated from a different Greek word than image, obviously. And here's what it means repletion or completion now repletion replete it's an interesting word isn't it it means completely full but in a crowded or overflowing sense i like that he's complete full of what full of god full of the spirit of god full of everything god was he was now if you go on and you look at this, it says subjectively what fills as content, supplement, copiousness, or multitude, i.e. the spirit, or objectively what is filled, the container, or the period, or the entity, the Christ. You catch what that's saying? That's the Greek word that's used to describe the fullness of the Godhead in Jesus Christ. Oh, mm. If I take these together, they literally say that Jesus was the absolute, complete, and exact representation of the Spirit of God in bodily form, 
He was unequivocally God and unequivocally all of God. There's no doctrinal position for part of a Godhead. There's no doctrinal position for anything but Almighty God was Jesus Christ. You catch that? And, and, and I just, it just flew all over me. It's there to the very nth detail you want to go. I don't know. That just that floated my boat. I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm about, I, was ready, I was ready to have church. All right, let's, let's, let's go on to what would be our next slide, uh, which is going to be who is the Spirit. Now, I think a lot of people get hung up on this one. The Spirit of God. Okay. The Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. He is a Spirit. It's His. There's one Spirit. Well, that's pretty easy to understand. But you have to understand that the Spirit of God is also the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Christ. Okay? And, and, and so what I'm going to do, um, I'm going to sum up what the Bible says about the Spirit. It says only God is holy. God is a Spirit. I'm not going to cite all these scriptures. You can hopefully see them up there. There is only one Spirit of God. Okay? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God, and God's Spirit. Still dealing with one. So the Holy Ghost is the Spirit, is the Holy Spirit, or is God's Spirit. It is not distinct from Him. It is not a component of Him. It is one Spirit, Him. He's a Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Now, this is important because it helps us understand scriptures such as Isaiah 48 and 16, Zechariah 7 and 12, John 16, 13 and 15, where it states that God sent his spirit. It makes it sound like, okay, there's God and he sent his something else to go do. No, what that means is God worked through his spirit to do whatever is being done in those scriptures. He didn't send anything. He did it. He worked as the spirit of God. That's all that means. Okay. Now, consider that God's Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is, is, excuse me, that God's Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is the Spirit of Christ. The Bible tells us that. And these are Romans 8 and 9 and Philippians 1 19, 2 Corinthians 3 17 through 18. Those are all really powerful scriptures that basically tell you that, that Christ is the Spirit of God. Okay? It equates Him with the Spirit of God and is the Spirit of the Lord. Okay? Now, Look, and, and here's where it gets to me really interesting. When we fully receive Christ into our lives, when we are baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, that's how you receive Christ. I mean, God fills you with what? His Spirit. Okay? Now, by the same Spirit, we're placed into the church. And it says by one Spirit. Well, who is it? It's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. That's who fills the believer. Okay? Hence, Christ is the Spirit of God that dwells in our hearts as the Holy Ghost. That's scriptural, folks. You know, he said that he's going to send the Comforter in his name. And then he says a little bit later, I'm going to come to you as the Comforter and dwell. I'm with you now. I will be in you. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Spirit of God. You know, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you guys have caught this. You know, baptism in Jesus' name remits my sins. 
But what places me into the church is the infilling of the Holy Ghost, where God's Spirit enters into me and dwells. That's Christ, Almighty God, dwelling in me. And the Bible equates him with the Spirit of God. Please understand, they're one and the same. I hope you caught that. Okay, now we're going to have some fun. If we haven't already, we're going to have a good time. So go to the next slide, please. Let's talk about the plan of salvation for a minute. Um, when I tell you that I didn't know anything about God and I didn't know anything about anything to do with church, when I got in church, I mean I didn't know anything. And with a little bit I knew was wrong, so I didn't know anything. Um, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know, what, I didn't know what the plan of salvation was. I didn't even know what it looked like. I didn't have a clue. Understanding the Godhead makes the plan of salvation clear. It does two things. One, it tells me the baptismal formula that I need to use. And two, it tells me who's going to be in me as the Spirit of God. So I don't have any confusion about that. Okay? Now... Let me read, let me read a scripture here. Let me read Matthew 28 and 19. He says, there, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Okay. Now, I like I like sentence structure and grammar. I write a lot. I think it matters. <laughs> Go out to all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It is just so elementary, but name is singular. It's singular. Okay, so, okay, something, you know, what's going on there? One of the things you need to do and people need to do is look at Scripture and explain Scripture with Scripture. You got to do that. So if I go... So, the Great Commission, right? He, he, he gave the, the disciples who would be apostles some words of wisdom on what to do, uh, you know, after his ascension into heaven. And so if you look at the last chapter in all four of the Gospels, he gives them some pieces of information. Um, in Luke chapter 24, there's a parallel passage that deals with the same setting, Okay. And it says this, Luke 24, 46 through 48 says, Then he said to them that he is Jesus. Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And look at verse 47, he says, And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations. And he says, You are witnesses of these things. Go and baptize all nations in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And then he says, you know, go preach repentance and remission of sins in my name. Well, what's his name? Jesus. Okay, in Mark 16, I'm not going to read it, but he said, you will do many mighty works in what? My name. You know, you're, you're going to be able to go out. The power is in his name. I want to make sure I'm not leaving anything out here that I want to talk about. Okay. Um, when I look at the accounts of baptism in the Bible in a church, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to do a, a salvation study, but this is important to where we're going. If I look at every one of them, they're all in the book of Acts, really. 
Okay? Now, there, look, there's some in the epistles. Okay? Actually, no, they're all in the book of Acts. It talks about it in some other areas. But every account, every actual account is in the book of Acts. In every account, the name of Jesus was invoked. Okay, so what am I saying? Matthew 28 and 19 is really telling them that the name of Father, Son, Holy Ghost is Jesus. And that's what you need to be baptized in. Okay, I'll come back to that in a minute. Holy Ghost, Father, Son are titles. They're titles. We need to go, yeah, just go to the next slide, I think, is where we need to go. They're titles just like Ancient of Days, Word, Redeemer, Counselor, Mighty God. It goes on and on. They're titles. All right, and this is really elementary, but I have a bunch of titles you know, my kids call me dad. I won't tell you what my wife calls me. You know, my father calls me son. You know, my coworkers might call me colleague. Those are titles. But my name is service. And that's how people identify me. If I'm not, if I'm baptized into titles, I'm not identified with him. And my sins aren't remitted. I've got to be identified with Jesus to get my sins remitted. And that's why it's, that's a Jesus name baptismal formula in Matthew 28, 19, all the same. Okay. Well, it helps when I know his name is Jesus. All right. Day of Pentecost, Peter preaches the message. Now this is just some, this is just some fun stuff here. So Peter's there, great commissions given. Peter knew who he was. About two weeks later, he preaches the message on day of Pentecost how do he get his doctrine wrong? Because he told them, you know, he preached a message to the Jews. They fell under conviction. Men and brethren, what must we do? Peter says, hey, repent and be baptized in the name of Lord Jesus Christ for mission of sins. Whoa, he got doctrinally corrupt in two weeks. All right, even better, he's there with the rest of them. Why didn't they correct him? It's like, hey, Peter, hey, you told them the wrong thing, man. They didn't correct him. Why? They understood it. I mean, I mean, think about it, though, because, I mean, if, 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 if that isn't a Jesus name formula, Matthew 28, 19, then you've got contradictions in the word of God. And we got let's go home. OK, now. Jesus is the name of the father I'm on the next slide, I believe. Jesus is the name of the son and Jesus is the name of the Holy Ghost. I mean, the Bible tells us this anyways. And what I think is kind of fun, uh, the devil is referred to as the father of the lie, the son of perdition. And the spirit and the sons of disobedience. There's only one devil. He has a name, Satan. And the Bible says he's the God of this world. We don't look at him multiple entities there. They're titles. One devil, one God. Okay? Oops. Let me see if I got enough time to get through this. I have, okay. Let's go on to the next slide dealing with the book of Zechariah. Um, the book of Zechariah offers absolutely convincing proof that Jehovah came as Jesus Christ. And I, I love it. Um, 
I'm just going to read these out of here. Zechariah 11 and 4 says, The Lord my God said, So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. That Lord is directly translated from Jehovah. Wait a minute. They weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver? In Zechariah 12 and 10, Jehovah also stated, They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Look what he's saying. He's, he's talking about it in the first person. It's him. It's God the Father talking here. Okay? Now, who was sold for 30 pieces of silver and who was pierced? Jesus was. Zechariah 14, 35 states that the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with him. It also describes him battling against many nations and stepping foot on the Mount of Olives. Wait a minute. If I look at some scriptures in the New Testament, it's Jesus that did that. Now, wait, what do we got going on here? One God. I mean, here, this is, this is neat because Jehovah's actually telling him, look, I'm going to come to you as a man. They're going to crucify me. They're going to betray me. But I'm going to come back again for my church. And he lays it out there for him in the Old Testament, and then he fulfills it in the New Testament. Or he's going to fulfill part of it. He did fulfill part of it. He's going to fulfill the rest of it at some point in time. Make wise use of time, right? Two minutes. Can y'all stay with me for two more minutes? Let me, look at, let me try to get through one more slide. Let's talk about Isaiah 9 and 6. Isaiah 9 and 6 is a beautiful scripture. It identifies Jesus Christ as both the Father and the Messiah. It identifies Jehovah as both Father, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. I love it. And I wanna, I wanna, there's a point I want to make about this scripture that is, is important. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. That's an obvious reference to Christ. Okay? And it says, And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So to, to me, that's just talking, it's very clear, there's a, a beautiful scripture about, you know, God coming and, and you know, being the Messiah and, and, and being my Savior and, and doing all of these roles, and those are roles that it's talking about there, okay? But there's a doctrine out there that says, well, that everlasting Father really isn't in reference to God the Father, it's to the fact that Christ was eternal, and, and I'm not going to go down that road, but, okay, that passage of scripture that word father is translated from a, a Hebrew word that, that I think it's ab which just means either in a literal or figurative sense a father everlasting or not the, 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 the way the, the, the Jews would have read that is it's my father my dad so to speak he's the everlasting father God the father is what he's dealing with there okay it's not, it's not some kind of weird twist on that doctrinal theme. Uh, if I look at um, Isaiah 63 and 16, I, I'm not even going to read it for time's sake, but the purpose of that scripture is Jehovah God, or the, excuse me, the subject of that scripture is Jehovah God, and it talks about him being the father. It's the same Hebrew word that's used. Okay, Isaiah 9, 6 is actually a beautiful one God scripture that shows you the major components of Jesus Christ as the mighty God. It also, and it, real quickly, it refers to him as the mighty God. Well, you know, God the Father is referred to as the almighty. And I mentioned this before, but there can only be one almighty. You can't have two almighty anythings. So it has to be then, you know, 
that's God in all his fullness and all his might and all his glory. Now, I'm not I'm going to stop there because I can't I can't get through the rest of it. And I'm not going to get through the rest of it because next week we're going to move on. But, you know, Hebrews chapter one, the first few scriptures are just beautiful. We could talk about those. We're not going to do it. But. um, There's only one, guys. There's only one God with no division or distinction of entities. There's the spirit and there's the Messiah in the one Jesus Christ.